First Samuel 21. I ran by a, a Peanuts cartoon. The first panel of the cartoon is a picture of Lucy and Linus. They're inside of the house and they're looking out this big window and it's pouring rain outside. Lucy says, look at all the rain. What if it floods the entire world? Linus responds, God had never let that happen. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that would never happen again. And the sign of the promise is the rainbow. She wipes her brow and said, you've taken a big load off my mind. Linus replied, sound theology has a way of doing that. He's right. A correct understanding of God can take a big load off of your mind during a difficult season. The church today craves practical preaching. They crave a four-week series to tell you how to do this and how to do that. That's what the church craves today. But what the church is missing is sound theology of God. What the church really needs to understand is who God is. Because nothing can comfort you in the darkest of times than a deeper understanding of God. That's what this narrative tonight demonstrates. It teaches us something very simple, but very important about God. And theology in this text, I think, can be boiled down to two words. It's this, God provides. Now, I know that's simple. When I say theology, you're thinking, ooh, what's he going to teach us tonight? You have to be smart to understand this bit of theology. But it's as important as any other matter of systematic theology. God provides. That's what this text is about. The theology of God's provision. We're going to see how God provides for David in four different ways. He provides sustenance. He provides deliverance. He provides assistance. And he provides guidance. Here's the good news. These aren't just ways that God provided for David. These are ways that God provides for his children today. Before we jump in, it's good to know that each of these acts of provision in chapter 21 and the first part of chapter 22 correspond with a different geographic location. Look at the map, if you would. David begins in the town of Nob in chapter 21, verse 1. That's where God provides sustenance. Remember, he's running from Saul. Then he goes to Gath. That's where God provides deliverance. Then he goes, finds him a cave in Adullam. That's where God provides assistance. Then he goes over to Mizpah of Moab, and that's where God provided guidance. So you get a big picture. That's what we're going to study. We're going to go from Nob to Gath to Adullam to Moab. And each spot is going to represent a way in which God provided for David. Let's start where David was in Nob, verses 1 through 9. Then came David to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David. He, that just means he was like, what's going on with this? And David said unto him, why, or Ahimelech said to David, why art thou alone and no man with thee? And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, well, the king hath commanded me a business. And it said unto me, let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee and what I have commanded thee. And I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now, is that the truth David's telling here? Did King Saul tell him to go here? Not a trick question. It's no. Verse 3. Now, therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or what 
there is present. The priest answered David and said, well, there's no common bread under my hand, but there's hallowed bread. If the young men have kept themselves at least from women, that was a, a priest-like bread. Only priests were able to touch this bread. Verse 5, and David answered the priest, said unto him, of a truth, women have been kept from us about these three days since I came out and the vessels of the young men are holy. The bread is in a manner common, yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. So the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread. That was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. I'll explain all that in a moment. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. And David said unto Himelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine. Whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take it, take it, for there is no other save that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. Remember, David is on the run from angry and jealous King Saul. What we're going to see in the first nine verses in Nob is that God is going to provide through Ahimelech's hand sustenance for David. So far, Saul has tried to kill David eight times up to this point. David flees and he gets out of Dodge, so to speak. He comes to a priest in Nob. Of course, his name is Ahimelech. David has no food. He has no weapon. When he shows up, Ahimelech thought it strange that David came to him all by himself. So what are you doing here by yourself? So, so David fabricated a story to try and explain why he was there by himself. He said, listen, priest, the king sent me on this mission. And it was so urgent and it was so secret that, hey, man, I totally forgot food and supplies. I mean, you ever been there, Ahimelech? You just had to pack your bags and run? Well, I forgot bread. I forgot a weapon. Silly me. Do you happen to have any of those things? Now, the question that any curious reader would ask, is whether or not it was okay for David to lie. Because if it's okay for David to lie in order to get himself out of a pickle, then God understands when I lie to do the same. Look down at verse 7. Here's a small detail that might give us indication as to why David had to be deceptive. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord, and his name was Doag, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to who? Saul. So one of Saul's most trusted men was detained, was there perhaps in the presence of David and Ahimelech. And it's like the literary camera turned to show us the briefest clip of this character named Doag. So as to maybe give us a hint as to why David might have had to be deceptive here. Perhaps David was trying to save Ahimelech from being implicated in aiding one of the king's enemies. Think about it, if David didn't outright tell Ahimelech out loud that he was fleeing from King Saul, then Ahimelech could, could in the future claim ignorance and not be sentenced to death for helping David. This could have been the reason why David lied because Doeg was in the room and no doubt Doeg would have turned Ahimelech into the king the first opportunity that he got. So David could have been trying to protect the priest. I don't know. In any case, the text neither condones or condemns David's behavior. The text is not recommending David's conduct. The narrator is only reporting it. So the Holy Spirit, and you know the Holy Spirit's perfect, described what David did, but he didn't see the need to discuss it. So I guess we don't have to discuss it either. We would do better to ask a better question. 
What is God doing here? Not what is David doing here. What is God doing here? And it's simple. God is providing sustenance for David. Even if you think that what David did was wrong, that's even more gracious of Yahweh. That he would provide bread for David even when David lied to get it. That's how good God is sometimes. He gives you what you need even when you cut corners to get it. David received bread. The bread that he received was hallowed bread, not common bread. This was historically called the bread of presence. So in the tabernacle, there was this table in the holy place. And each Sabbath day, the priest would come and replace the old bread with 12 freshly baked loaves of bread. It was known as the presence, uh, the bread of presence, because it was in the presence of the Lord. And the reason God commanded his people to do this was because he wanted this to be a regular reminder to them of his daily provision. Of course, 12 loaves of bread represents 12 tribes of Israel. And God wanted each loaf to symbolize to them that he will provide for each tribe of Israel. According to the Torah, though, the Old Testament law, this bread was only supposed to be touched and eaten by the priest. But as you saw, Ahimelech let David eat it so long as he was treated in a, or treated in a, in a priest-like Man, or I could go into that. Jesus actually talks about it in the New Testament that Ahimelech did the right thing. But on this day, here's the point. Ahimelech's holy bread became David's daily bread. Maybe this is what David meant when he wrote in Psalms 23, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. God, right there in front of Doeg. Saul's chief herdsman, right there when Saul was chasing me down for my life, already tried to kill me eight times, you gave me a meal. You gave me what I needed to be sustained another day. But that's not all. David would need a weapon. When he asked Ahimelech for a weapon, the priest offered him none other than Goliath's sword. That was the same sword that David used to cut off Goliath's head. He knew what that sword was like. And he said, there's nothing like this sword. I, I think I'll take it. That's, that's like winning the lottery at a pawn shop. <laughs> Goliath's sword. This is so like God to provide not just the ordinary means of provision, but exceeding abundant above all that we could ask or think. He didn't just provide David with common bread, but holy bread. He didn't just provide David with a normal sword, but Goliath's sword. It's as though the narrator wants to get across something about God, and it's this. He takes really good care of his kids. Matthew 6, Jesus confirms this. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not your life more than raiment and the body, or more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, the birds. They, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly, what's the next word? Father feeds them. Are ye not much better than they? You don't have to worry about whether or not God is going to put food on your table or clothes on your back. Here's why. He's your father. And good fathers don't let their kids starve. Jennifer Catherine Gates went through high school never worrying once about having lunch money or money for school activities or money for her first car or money for new clothes or money for anything really. Do you know why? Because of who her dad is, Bill Gates. Because of who your father is, the God of the universe, you don't have to worry about your sustenance either. 
If he feeds the birds and he does, Jesus said he'll feed you because he thinks you're better than the birds. That should comfort you, by the way. Like the rainbow. That should comfort you that God puts food on your table. You'll never go without God meeting your needs. That's what David figured out in Nob. Let's move on to Gath. Look at verses 10 through 15. And David arose, fled that day for the fear of Saul, went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said unto him, is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul is slain his thousands and David is ten thousands. And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them. He feigned himself mad in their hands, scrabbled on the doors of the gate, let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, you see the man is mad? Wherefore then have you brought him to me? Have I need of mad men? That you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Did you catch where David went? He went to a place called Gath. This is where we're going to learn that God provides deliverance. Deliverance. Think about what's significant about Gath. Is something coming to your mind? Who lives there? Who's from there, rather? Goliath. It's a Philistine city. These are the arch enemies of the Israelites. Why in the world would David go there? Well, again, we, we don't know. I'm thinking that he apparently thought he'd be safer in Gath. Maybe King Saul would never suspect that that's the place he would go. Or... Uh, he knew the fact that if King Saul showed up in Philistine territory unannounced as an Israelite king, he'd get his head chopped off. Unfortunately, though, when David gets there, the people recognize him. They say, hey, this is the guy they wrote the songs about. You remember that song? Saul slain his thousands, David slayed his ten thousands, and that's when David knew he's in trouble. So he improvised. We read it. He started to change his behavior. He started to act like a lunatic. He started to slobber from his mouth. He scrabbled. On the city gates, that basically means he sprayed graffiti on the city gates. And now he's ticked off gas park and recreation department. So they, they arrest him. They take him to King Achish. But King Achish said, I've met my quota of crazy people. I don't need any more. I felt like saying that a time or two. Send him away. And David left free. Now we might be tempted to look at this little scene in Gath. And say, man, give David an Oscar. Boy, that was lucky. Good thing he knew how to act. He got himself out of that situation. But this had nothing to do with luck. It had everything to do with God delivering David from the enemy's hands. God did this as foolish as David felt, as desperate as David was. Maybe he didn't even trust God, so he just acted the fool. Or maybe God... Caused him to act a fool. It doesn't matter. God gets the credit here. Because David would later write a song about it. We sang it tonight. Psalms 34. That's why I picked that song. Because that song comes from this experience right here. He said, I sought the Lord and he heard me. And delivered me from all my fears. I wish David would have put something in there like, yeah, I had, I had to like spit and drool and use graffiti to do it, but, but God still got me. 
The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. David didn't attribute his deliverance to his acting skills, to, to his ability to trick people, to his ability to get out of a sticky situation. He gave the credit to God. God provides deliverance. He's done that for you. I say God has done that for you. If you're saved in here tonight, God has delivered your soul from the greatest danger and eternity in a devil's hell. He has saved you from not only being tortured in hell for all eternity, but being separated from God for all eternity. God has delivered you from the penalty of sin. God has delivered you from the power of sin. And he has promised to one day deliver you from the presence of sin. He's a good God. God has delivered marriages in this place from divorce. And he wants to continue to do that. God has delivered some in here from sinful addictions and habits. And he wants to continue to do that. God has delivered some from the chains of bitterness. He set you free from holding a grudge that sought to destroy your joy and your peace. God has delivered some in here from physical disease. You have that testimony. He's delivered some in here from cancer. I want to tell Amy if she's watching, God will do that again. I want to tell Carla, God will do that again. I want to tell Margaret, God will do that again. God knows how to heal a body still. Let's be clear, God's deliverance doesn't always come on earth though does it a lot of times it does but God sometimes chooses in his sovereignty to deliver his children by bringing them out of this world and into heaven either way it's his deliverance if you're in a tight spot tonight if you're in a crisis tonight if you're in a situation where you don't see a way out take heart God delivers Cry out to the Lord and the Bible promises that he will hear your cry and deliver you out of all your troubles. David found out in Nob that God provides sustenance. He found out in Gath that God provides deliverance. Now he's going to go over to a place called Adullam where he finds residence in a local cave. This would have been equivalent to like modern day Thunderbird Inn on North Kansas. A place you're probably only going to stay at if you have COVID or if you've been kicked out of your house. One of the two. Okay. If you're going to stay at Thunderbird Inn because you got kicked out of your house, drive a little bit down line like I got a guest bedroom. It's a little bit safer. Look at chapter 22, verse 1 and 2. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Thunderbird, Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him and everyone that was in distress Everyone that was in debt, everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him and he became captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. God provided assistance in Adullam. Adullam would have been about 12 miles east of Gath. When David got there, he found himself a cave. And his family, when they heard about where he was, wanted to come and enjoy, enjoy him. They, 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 they probably uh, fled Israel. Because they thought King Saul would hold them as ransom to get David to turn himself in. Now, I don't want you to skip over the fact that David arrives in a cold, dark cave. You've been in a cave? I mean, they're, they're tourist attractions now. We don't sleep in them. I wouldn't sleep in a cave. It's dark. It's cold. It's scary. There's bats in there. But God sends David his own family. 
There's something unique about the presence of family members when you're going through a difficult time. And God knows that. That's why when somebody is dying, they call in the family. There's peace and comfort that only family can provide in times of crisis. God did this to assist David. He knew the nights would get cold and long and dark and lonely. And he came, and let's just be honest, he needed his mom. Might have needed his dad. Might have needed a brother that he didn't get along with growing up, but he became best friends as, with an adult, as an adult. But it wasn't just his family that it provided. God provided him some men of war. Now I'll admit that God didn't necessarily give David the A-team at first. These are not men that you'd pick first at recess to be on your soccer team. They're described as being in debt, being in distress, and being discontented, not necessarily a group of winners. I'm sure a couple of them were probably a few fries short of a Happy Meal. You know what I mean? You met them kind of people? They're good people. They love Jesus. They just need some work. But they would end up being 400 of David's mightiest men one day. He became captain over them and they would assist him and protect him and keep him alive. Hey, aren't you thankful for the people that God has brought into your life to assist you? Some in here have family members and you have friends. And if it wasn't for their help in your life, you wouldn't be here today. They've assisted you through health difficulties. They've assisted you through tragedy. They've assisted you through depression. They've assisted you through a messy divorce. They've assisted you through surgeries. They've assisted you through rehab. They've assisted you through the loss of your job or your relocation. Maybe, maybe God has used your church family to be that assistance to you, a pastoral staff member or their wife that has been a constant sounding board for you as you make difficult decisions. A connection group leader that's been an inspiration or an influence in your life. A connection group at large that's just been a special blessing. Another church member perhaps that's been a source of accountability and assistance to you in your battle against sin. Somebody you could trust. Somebody at church that, 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 that has written you handwritten notes and cards and they come at just the right time. Maybe it was someone from this church that invited you to this church, that sits by you at church, that led you to Christ, that took you through first steps, that got you involved in the ministry here. Hey, this is why we make such a big deal about church membership. It's not only biblical, it's beneficial. You need spiritual people around you to assist you through life. And the local church is God's means of providing that assistance. If you're already a church member, you need to take this responsibility serious. It's not just the pastoral staff's job to minister to the members. It's members' job to minister to members and assist members. That means if there's an opportunity to make a meal for somebody during times of crisis or difficulty, you should gladly be willing to assist. If there's an opportunity to lend a hand to somebody who's moving into a new house, if you can, you ought to help them. If a brother or sister is needing some accountability in their Bible reading, man, you ought to step up and give that to them. If someone needs their car fixed and you know how to do it, you ought to do it. If someone needs their lawn mowed and you know how to do it, you ought to do it. If there's somebody who's sitting by themselves, you take notice and sit by them. Every member ought to take ownership of this responsibility to be assistance to those they go to church with. Yeah. God provides sustenance and knowledge. 
provides deliverance in Gath. He provides assistance in Adullam. Now David's going to travel all the way over to Moab where he's looking for some more help. Look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 22. And David went thence to Mizpah of Moab. And he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. Now what's going on? Well, if you know your Bible history, then you might be confused as to why David chose Moab to go and hide. Let alone trust them to take care of his aging parents. Listen here. Moab was an idolatrous, pagan place that wasn't fond of God's people. In fact, God said of, of Moab that they are his wash pot. Okay, it wasn't a good place for Christian people. But David, if you remember, has some loose family connections there. Do you recall the story of Ruth? Ruth is from Moab. That was David's great-grandmother. I think that's why he chose Moab. He thought, man, I got some family there. I think they'll recognize me, remember me. I could probably negotiate something for my parents to be able to, to, to stay. And on top of that, I need a hiding place. That's what it, that's what it means in the end of verse number uh, uh, four. While the David was in the hole, they, they were trying to find a fortress for, for those 400 men to hide out for a while. And he thought, hey, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just kill two birds with one stone. I'll, I'll go and, and get me a fortress in, in Moab, but I'm not taking my parents to the fortress. I'll drop them off with the king of Moab. And so he negotiated with the king and the king accepted those negotiations. And David's got, he's got his problem solved. But there's a problem here. The Torah, the Old Testament law prohibits Jews from making treaties with the Moabites. Well, that's when the prophet Gad shows up and puts this idea to a stop. Leave it to the preacher to always mess up your plans with the truth. Look at verse 5. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hole. In other words, don't stay here. Depart, leave, and get thee into the land of Judah. Judah. Here's the last means of God's provision. In Moab, God provides guidance. Follow me here. This seems to be random guidance from an unknown prophet. This guy shows up out of nowhere. But this is actually a man sent from God. Who's the prophet Gad? It seems like this prophet, in my study so far, was part of David's band of followers. Maybe part of the 400, I don't know. Because he would show up again in 2 Samuel. He would show up again in 1 Chronicles. And in both accounts, he's offering counsel to David and ministering to David. So it seems like this is so in particular that God has provided to guide David through some of his most difficult days. Now, now the particular counsel that this prophet gave David here was to leave Moab and go back to Judah. On paper, that doesn't make sense. Are you hearing me? Going back to Judah would have meant going back toward the, the people that wanted to kill him. David's trying to get away from the people that wanted to kill him. And this guy's saying, God says you need to get towards them. Why would the prophet tell him to leave a place that has been friendly to him and offer protection for his men and his parents? Here's why. Because prophets didn't exist to tell people what they wanted to hear. They existed to tell people what they needed to hear. The prophet knew that if David made a treaty with the king of Moab, he would be inviting God's judgment on his life. How would David respond? Would he throw a fit? 
Would he get defensive? Would he say, hey, buddy, I've already made plans. I've already won the negotiation battle here with the king. I've got it all set up. So you need to back up the truck a little bit. I'm staying here. No, no. David heeded. He received and followed the prophet's guidance. Then David departed, verse 5, and came to the forest of Hered. This is amazing. Today we don't have prophets like the prophet Gad. But hear me, we do have a more sure word of prophecy. It's called the scripture. In it we have all the guidance for life that we would ever need. God has provided this book for us. King David called, called the Bible a lamp unto his feet and a light unto his path. Church, think about where you would be tonight if not for the Bible's guidance in your life. You wouldn't be saved today if it weren't for the Bible. You wouldn't know how to raise your kids today if it weren't for the Bible. You wouldn't know how to endure trials if it weren't for the Bible. You wouldn't know how to steward your finances or deal with offenses or how to pray if it weren't for the Bible. Where would you be without the blessed book? The truth is you'd be a total mess if God hadn't provided his guidance through his more sure word of prophecy. Yet some may be here tonight holding the word of God like I am in your hand and still be searching for guidance from other places. Ungodly people, secular mindsets, or even worse, your own heart. The Bible warns us of the danger in doing that. Psalms chapter 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. In other words, you shouldn't be taking your cues for how to do life from ungodly counselors or from secular-minded friends or even from your own heart. For the Bible says your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What ungodly counselors and what your ungodly heart will say and where they will point you might feel better in the moment, might seem easier in the moment, might make more sense in the moment, but it will not lead you to God's richest blessings in your life. The psalmist says those that prosper with God's blessing, those that are truly happy in the end are those that have received and followed the counsel of his word. What I found is that many Christians will heed the guidance of God's word. If you haven't listened to me, listen close now. They'll heed the guidance of God's word until it contradicts something they want to do. Especially if they've already got their mind made up. That's what makes David's response so impressive to me. He already made arrangements to keep his parents in Moab. He already went through the negotiation process, had the interview, got the job. His mind was already made up. Yet when given guidance that contradicted his opinion and his plans, what did David do? He submitted. You might be tempted to think, why does God do that? Man, what a killjoy. It seems like he's always trying to contradict what I want to do. Hey, the fact that God would step in with his guidance is an evidence of grace in your life. He loves you too much to let you go down your own foolish way or make your own foolish decisions without trying to influence you towards righteousness. The fact that God would be gracious enough to give you a sermon at just the right time to change your mind, that's his grace. The fact that God would be gracious enough to give you a spouse to call out your foolishness and make you think about what you're doing before you do it, that's his grace. The fact that God would give you parents, young people, to step in and stop you dead in your tracks before you ruin your life, that's his grace. 
The fact that God would send a godly friend your way to hold you accountable, that's his grace. And if God is going to be so gracious as to provide his guidance, even when you don't ask for it, you would be foolish to ignore it. Look, a proverb says the man that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Even if God's guidance contradicts your heart or your opinion or your plans, the wise thing to do is to receive and submit even though it's hard and maybe even scary. Let me give you a bit of practical advice. We'll go home. Especially when it comes to making decisions. You will save yourself a lot of heartache and you'll make it a lot easier on yourself to do right if you'll hold off on making up your mind until you've received the full guidance of God's word. I'm going to say it again and I want some more agreement. You will save yourself a lot of heartache, make it easier on yourself to do right if you hold off on making up your mind until you've received the full guidance of God's word. Don't make up your mind and then go ask for counsel. Don't make a bunch of arrangements and then ask for somebody's opinion. At that point, you're not looking for counsel, you're looking for affirmation. And what you're doing here is making it really hard on yourself to make a U-turn if that's what God tells you to do. Just get directions before you start going down the road so you don't have to make that painful and sometimes embarrassing U-turn. That way you don't have to waste any time whatsoever going in the wrong direction in the first place. Before you make the, the major purchase, get the counsel of God's word through God's people. Go the avenue of wisdom first. First, 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 not after you're infatuated with it. It's almost too late by that point. Not after you've researched it for 40 days and 40 nights. Because it's really hard to make a U-turn at that point. Ask those that you trust, get into God's word, find the wisdom principles in his word to discover, should I even take the first step in this direction? Should I even research this right now? Should I even look at this right now? Should we even talk about this right now? If you don't take the first step, then you, your mind is clear and your heart is more submitted and it's going to be a lot easier to just not go than go and have to take a U-turn. Can someone agree with that? Thank God. Thank God for providing his guidance so clearly. We ought to seek it and we ought to follow it. So there it is, the theology of God's provision. Simple, he provides sustenance. Sustenance. I wonder if there's something tonight that you're in need of. Something tangible. Something of sustenance that you're asking God to provide for you. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't get distracted. You do your part and trust God to do his. He will. He's a good, good father. He provides deliverance, number two. If God can de deliver you from a devil's hell, he can deliver you from anything else in this world. Amen. If you're in a crisis situation, you're in a difficult situation, trust that God will deliver you in his time and in his way. Number three, he provides assistance. He does this primarily through the local church. Do you need to commit to church membership tonight? Do it. Do it. Quit procrastinating on that. Commit. Do you need to get more involved so that you can receive assistance and give assistance to others you go to church with? Number four, he provides guidance. Are you following the guidance of God's word? Are you following the guidance of your own foolish heart? Do you need to take a U-turn tonight?
I know my name's not Gad, but God might have used this sermon. Kind of like he does Siri. Recalculating. Maybe he's just whispered the Holy Spirit to you. You need to turn around. You need to stop going forward with this. You need to stop thinking about it. You stop being obsessed with it. You don't need to say yes here. Maybe God has, has said that to you and you just honestly need to take a U-turn. I hope parts of this message has challenged you. But more than that, I hope it's encouraged you tonight. Kind of like the rainbow encouraged Linus. Because that's what sound theology is supposed to do. It's supposed to remind us that because of who God is, we can always trust in Him.